Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to introduce pharmacist Brendan Quinn from Ireland. Welcome, Brendan. Hi, Linda. Could you tell me when you first got involved with LDN? Well, funny, it's a very strange story. The first person that alerted me to LDN was a representative of a regional branch of the Multiple Sclerosis Society in Ireland, and he asked me to look into the treatment, which was beginning to show its um, face through Dr. Bahari's work in New York. So I went on, had a look at it, and thought, yeah, this looks like it's got potential, and it certainly looks like there's a valid chemical argument for why it's been used. I chased it up and I started looking at it and looking at its use, and you probably know more of the story than I do at this stage, but we went through a process of firstly importing it until that was deemed illegal, and then making it until that was also deemed illegal in Ireland. So now we're currently at the stage where we have managed to help train and teach a local manufacturing plant to make LDN, and at a fairly reasonable price, though not as reasonable as we would have had it from the States or from ourselves when we were hand-making it. But it's like everything else. The more popular it gets, the more it becomes a manufacturing process rather than a pharmacy doing a special for one or two patients. And that's where we got caught out legally. As it goes on, I become more and more frustrated that we don't have enough research to get it over the line as far as getting a product on the market would apply. But there are, of course, so many problems when it comes to that. I think the latest estimation for getting something like naltrexone to market for a new condition, price-wise, it must be close to a billion dollars now for a company to do that, looking at all the research. And there's definitely a problem there. There's There's a major problem that an old drug can't be used for a new purpose without going through the complete process all over again. And that's just wrong. And it's also wrong that If someone discovers something like this, that they can't get a niche for themselves to make money before it gets copied by all the other companies, it's all about money, and that's the the main reason we're not seeing Naltrexone being redeveloped. Although, reading this morning, I can see it's already being trialed in all sorts of other conditions combined with all sorts of other drugs, the latest being a drug called bupropion, which used to be used for cessation of smoking. It still is used, but it has its own risks and now they're trying a combination of naltrexone with that. So obviously the industry still has an interest in it. So that's where I am at the minute. I still continue to supply it. I still don't know scientifically how well it works because the people we don't see very often are those that it doesn't work in because they tend to go away dejected and disappointed and we don't hear from them again, either in a public sense on the websites or even in a private sense by by ringing me up. So we don't know how many people this drug didn't have any benefit for. Mm -hmm. And this is the part that's very frustrating. And this is where we really need to push research. We need to get to get the data onto paper and that data on paper verified by colleges so that we can push for the drug to be, to push encouragement of its development. I have no doubt that it's beneficial in quite a few conditions, 
but what we need to know now is how can we legalise it and how can we document it? How many patients would you say you supply LDN to? I would say close to 500. Certainly that would have been our peak. We are somewhat restricted now, quite simply because it's a much more tedious process now. Naltrexin we were making to the American formula had an expiry of over a year, so we could supply large amounts all at once to patients very conveniently. Again, that was called into legal question in Ireland because mail order, would you believe, is actually illegal in Ireland of medicines. It's not illegal throughout the EU, but Ireland has decided that it's a risky business. I mean, there may be some reason, good reason for that as well, but it's frustrating when there's a genuine difficulty in getting product to people like Polish, uh, Polish patients. And we have been supplying throughout Europe, not just in Ireland. Very small numbers outside of Ireland, but at our peak it would have been 500, and that shrank back a bit now because we can't offer the same discounts and same low cost as we were offering, although it's still pretty good. It, it was better, and we can't offer more than one month supply now because the current manufacturer cannot guarantee an expiry date of more than one month. That makes it much more difficult. But yes, nearly 500. The main bulk would be uh, people with infertility issues, but we also would have had quite a lot of MS patients and a good few of chronic arthritis sufferers. Mm-hmm. What's the feedback that you've heard? It varies. Almost all the feedback we get is positive. The worrying one for me is that some patients will ring up and say, well, I'm afraid to stop it because I feel great, but I don't know how much benefit I'm getting. I got a great boost initially. And we get quite a few of those. I would say nearly 50% would report that. And I would hate to think that I've trapped someone in a mindset that they have to keep paying me to get a medicine just because they're afraid to stop it. You know, so that's where the moral, it's one of the moral dilemmas I find myself, or conflicts I find myself in all the time. But I can I can rest assured in that quite a few pharmaceutical products do even less benefits. And people still come back getting those from the state and getting those from, from paid systems. And I do know this has benefited an awful lot of people. The ones that seem to respond most rapidly are the arthritis patients. But in many cases there, the drug does run its course and the condition seems to return. It, it seems to be, in that case, much more of a pain control mechanism. Mm-hmm. But the MS, we get varying amounts of success with it. We've had some incredible remissions with people on LDN and then we've had someone in whom you know they didn't even take it for a month and felt it wasn't doing any good and went straight back to what they were on before so it's got a huge variation but that doesn't surprise me because the condition itself has a huge variation in in diagnoses and in types you know from even from primary progressive to relapsing remitting there are so many types of MS that you would have to wonder are there other underlying conditions like Lyme disease and ME that are being confused or misdiagnosed in many cases? The drug itself doesn't seem to be disease-specific. It seems to be very much related to symptomatic relief in that it seems to free up any muscles or any tissues that seem to be immobilized or weakened and it also seems to be very good at relieving pain and pain that would cause restriction of movement. So the next things we have to do are, number one, try and find a legal route of getting this drug available to more people, and number two, find out how it works chemically. And there, there have been some developments, most notably from Stanford University, 
in where that's going. I'm lucky enough to have students that will be doing some work on Naltrexone and how it works in the next year, possibly two years. So hopefully the college will get interested on that project. They may try to extend that research further. I think there's a huge amount of encouragement that we have presently with with regards to MS. But I've been watching very closely the, the development of up to eight drugs which are about to hit market. Three of those are oral tablets. One of them is a chemotherapeutic agent, another was chemotherapy. That was used, still is used for other types of conditions. Some of the trials are very encouraging. But, you know, the funny thing is almost all the drugs that are coming to market and all the drugs that are on market, they appear to improve symptoms by about 65% in about 65% or less of patients. Now, I think naltrexone falls well within that category. So I feel, as do quite a few neurologists, that it is as beneficial without half as much risk because all of these new drugs are potent chemical entities. There hasn't been a lot of evidence yet about their safety, and we all know the story of the Tysabri-related fatalities, which were shocking, and yet it is, in my view, still the best drug for relapsing remitting MS on the market, but it carries that massive risk. So I think, as a lifestyle choice and a risk choice, naltrexone should be given some sort of status where it could be provided to patients who choose to use it and want to find if it's beneficial for them. There certainly is no evidence that I have seen that it causes any detrimental effect or makes the condition worse, and that was always the biggest fear. And, of course, that's the reason for our regulators. Their number one aim is to protect the public, and they will be as boringly negative as we hate but they're doing that for a good reason. They're doing that to protect the public, and that's why, you know, we shouldn't be too angry at them. We should be angry at the system for not allowing this drug as some sort of an orphan drug status. But it's not the regulator's fault either. You know, they are really trying to prevent issues like what happened with Tysabri and issues what also happened with that smoking drug, bupropion that I mentioned earlier. There was several fatalities to that drug as well due to seizures epileptic type seizures so this is why you know we we hear and see negativity when we try and push this further and this is what we have to overcome it's a, it's a, a large mountain to climb but i have no doubt that the people involved are the right type of people to do that and i can't think of one person in this whole ldn circle that is motivated primarily by finance but I couldn't say the same about the pharmaceutical industry in, in general. There's quite a few areas where I feel new drugs are simply being brought in for the sake of it. Um, I'm very encouraged by the new drugs that are coming on that are coming on stream for MS. The two oral ones, the iniquimod-related drugs, seem to be encouraging. But I think it's the injectables, again, the, the drugs that are going to be better versions of Tysabri that will show huge benefits. Some of the trials now are very encouraging. I would remind listeners too that they should, wherever possible, stick to a, a very healthy diet and a best, best type or a swank type diet because it certainly seems to reduce the autoimmune process. And the, the one thing I would also remind people is that they should be sure of a diagnosis because we have seen, seen several incidents where 
Pat Crowley and I have discussed it where we would suspect that Lyme disease has been confused with MS. So uh, it's always a good idea to get a second opinion if there's any doubt, particularly if somebody is an, an outdoorsy type or would be walking on land where there's a lot of ticks or deer. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my experience so far. I'm quite encouraged by that. And I think we're going to run into major barriers because it would appear that every drug that's even slightly related to naltrexone or every form of it has been patented and therefore that blocks anyone else being able to invent a new drug, a drug related to it, and therefore making money and developing a new product. That was my biggest hope, that we could tack on a little lump of wood at the side of naltrexone and make it a new make it a new drug, and then, then some company would jump at the chance to release it. But it would appear that those patents, all, I think there's 110 chemical products related to naltrexone that have been, that have been patented. Mm-hmm. So unless we can push the companies that patent these over the research line, it does appear we are grinding to a halt at the moment until until we can get new form a newfound status or recognition for the drug. Well, let's hope that comes sooner rather than later. Yeah. So I always encourage people to ask about the drug and, and to ask questions about it. And I know Stephen Dixon has been incredibly helpful all along this. Whole, and he's run into the same regulatory difficulties I have, and yet he remains patient and very helpful. And you know, you have to be grateful for people like him. And, and Skip, of course, Skip the farm. He, he he's had a tough year, a year, two years, and yet always remains available if someone has a question to ask about it. So I would like to think I could do the same for people. Thank you ever so much for talking to me. And you're very welcome, Linda. And we do appreciate what you do, Brendan. I'd like to introduce pharmacist Dr. Mark Mendel, owner of Mark Drugs Compounding Pharmacy in Illinois, United States. Thank you for joining me, Mark. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for calling me. Could you tell us when you first heard about LDN? Uh, I first heard about LDN in the uh, in the mid 1990s. Um, one of my patients' uh, um, husband was using LDN. Uh, for a, uh, a couple of uh, conditions that he had. At that particular time, uh, he had been diagnosed with cancer and with autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. And how do you compound your LDN? Uh, LDN is, typically, is, a, is an unusual chemical in the sense that simple is better. Mm-hmm. And the LDN, when compounded alone with lactose uh, sugar, is the uh, most readily absorbed and available source. Um, if you try to play with it and uh, make it into a sustained release product or you know, alter it, it seems to decrease the effectiveness of the product. Um, for those patients who are sensitive to lactose, the only other modification or, or alteration we would do was we, we would put it in combination with probiotics. And that seems to have a beneficial effect for many patients as well. Uh, however, that's atypical to do it other than with the original lactose sugar. Mm-hmm. Do you do a, a liquid or a cream? Uh, I have not had an opportunity or a request for either of those uh, dosage forms, but it's certainly a possibility as a compounding pharmacy and compounding pharmacist, we have the ability to put uh, chemicals into any dosage form that is effective. Um, to date, I'm not aware of any uh, studies or any utilization in a liquid or in a uh, transdermal cream, but I would certainly be open to that if indeed uh, it was a requ- it was a required or, or 
you know, um, appropriate dosage for them. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of children with autism um, use the cream. That was only why I mentioned that. Do you... That's an inter- interesting, uh, interesting option. Uh, children using the cream um, <clears throat> with, who are autistic. Um, we've used a number of creams and a variety, a variety of medications with autistic children. And since we have a wide spectrum of, of patients there, um, it certainly does provide an option. And, uh, and I'm very interested in finding out more about that. Okay. And do you ship your LDN? Uh, yes, we do ship it all, all across the domestic United States, uh, you know, the Continental 48. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do not ship anything out of, out of country. Um, and at present, I have no patients in Hawaii or Alaska. So uh, we do limit it to the, uh, the lower 48, if you will. Okay. And what conditions do your patients take LDN for? LDN, as I mentioned before, is a remarkable chemical. Um, you know, what it actually does, at least what it does according to the, the theory and the data, is it is in a very, very low dose. When taken at bedtime, it increases the amount of endorphins or internal opiates the body produces by 200 to 300%, so by two to three times the normal levels. Um, that effect not only helps with longitudinal non-malignant pain, but it also seems to help spur, spur the immune system. So patients with cancer, with multiple sclerosis, with chronic fatigue syndrome, with, um, with fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, we've seen LDN used, low-dose naltrexone used with all these patients with success. Now, as far as dosing on the low-dose naltrexone, that can vary anywhere from a minimum of 1.5 milligrams at bedtime to the maximum uh, effective dose of approximately 4.5 milligrams at bedtime. And that is actually the 4.5 milligram dose is typically the most common dose. Um, the reason there is a variety of doses is that different patients have different response rates. And depending on the condition that's being uh, treated or being uh, modified, the different concentrations or different dosages may be appropriate for different patients. Mm-hmm. Do you have many doctors locally to you prescribing LDN? Uh, we probably have about two dozen physicians uh, who are ordering LDN, although there's only about four or five that find it as a, as a significant portion of their practices. The others are mostly responding to the demands and needs of their patients. Mm-hmm. So if we have a patient who is um, older and, say, on Medicare and seeing a conventional prescription, uh, a conventional physician, rather, um, that the patient will ask us to forward information to the physician, educate the physician so that that doctor can order the LDN on the patient's behalf. However, physicians that um, look with in an alternative area um, who are more open to alternative approaches to these conditions, um, uh, those are fewer uh, in number, and those take up the bulk of the physicians who are ordering the low-dose deltrexone for us for their patients. Mm-hmm. So if there are any people in the Illinois area looking for a prescribing doctor, you'd be able to help them? Undoubtedly. Uh, we have physicians um, in the Chicagoland area, in central Illinois and in northwestern Illinois. We also work with physicians in Wisconsin and Indiana, which are these states surrounding Illinois and surrounding the Chicago area. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, physicians, we're very fortunate. We're very blessed 
and that physicians uh, reach out to us in many cases uh, because we are a very well-known uh, compounding pharmacy. Well, and then great. we're able to refer patients directly to them. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's very good. Have any of your patients reported any unusual side effects to you? Um, unusual side effects. Uh, <laughs> the majority of patients uh, patients that report any type of side effect um, would be the uh, very um, vivid dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, the vivid dreams um, are typically not disturbing. However, uh, some of them can be quite uh, some some of them can be disturbing. Some can be very uh, you know can cause some anxiety. If the patient knows in advance that their dream cycle may be affected, um, then they're certainly not disturbed by those dreams. Um, but that's probably the most typical thing is that is that the very vivid dreams. Otherwise, we've had no significant uh, adverse effects or no significant side effects from the low-dose naltrexone treatments. Mm -hmm. We found from a survey that we carried out that only about 5% of people experience side effects at all anyway. Right. It's it's amazing. When you consider that the appropriate or normal dose of, of naltrexone for the treatment of alcoholism or drug abuse is approximately 50, 50 milligrams, mm-hmm. and um, that you don't even get into any toxicities until you're at eight times that level at 400 milligrams. The one and a half to 4.5 milligrams that are used at bedtime uh, for the treatment of these autoimmune conditions and cancer, et cetera, um, is a very, very tame, very mild dose. So we would not expect any dose-related side effects. Um, the majority of adverse effects, if you wish to call them that, such as the vivid dreams, mm-hmm. um, are, are because the patient is experiencing um, a deeper sleep than they have been. And as a result, they're entering into that REM sleep pattern, and, it's, it's, uh, and dreaming is a way of our, of our bodies to, to psychologically eliminate stress and to deal with, with, uh, with issues that we may have during our waking hours that we're made perhaps not comfortable with or that are unresolved in some other way. So those dreams, although they may be different than what, they're, than what the patient is accustomed to and vivid, which is what they're also not accustomed to because they're frequently not reaching that, that deep REM sleep, um, that explains you know, quite often why they are so vivid. But they're typically not as disturbing, again, once again, if the patient is aware that they may occur. Mm-hmm. And it is, a, it is a, certainly a way to lower overall blood pressure. It's a way to decrease other overall anxiety because these are the ways, this is a natural and appropriate way that the body treats stressors or treats unresolved issues is through dreaming. Mm-hmm. And do many of your patients stop taking LDN for any reason? Our patients uh, tend to stay, use, continue using LDN for anywhere from, from one to three years, um, you know, or longer. Uh, I really have not tracked it beyond that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we find that we're able to give the patients a lower price with a larger quantity of low-dose naltrexone, uh, they tend to get three to six months supply at a time. Um, as, a, you know, as you get to a three-month or greater um, supply, the, dose, the, the price of the LDN um, drops to less than $20 a month. Right. So, 
you know, and 20 dollars a month is, is what about about 14 pounds, 13, mm-hmm. 14 pounds a month. So it makes it quite economically reasonable, especially when you compare the benefits and compare the pricing of some of the other medications that are available to treat these autoimmune conditions. Not to mention the low-dose naltrexone has a very mild, virtually non-existent adverse reaction profile compared to the the other conventional medications that are available for autoimmune conditions. Mm. And without the awful toxicity as well. Well, again, those toxicities I would relate to the adverse uh, uh, adverse drug reactions, the ADRs, <clears throat> and you know those adverse reactions can be anything from from simple nausea to complete fatigue, you know, which are some of the things that you're trying to combat with conditions such as multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. um, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, some of the uh, some of the um, adverse reactions can be blood dyscrasias. Um, uh, you know, severe impairment of the liver or the kidneys, uh, any of these the mono, um, what's called monoclonal antibodies or MABs, this entire class of drug, which are used for autoimmune conditions, which are, can be very dramatically positive for some patients, can also, also have a very wide range of negative impacts. I mean, they increase, many of them increase the risk of cancers. Many of them uh, increase, you know, uh, a number of other longitudinal diseases when using them. Um, low-dose naltrexone has none of these side effects, none of these adverse drug reactions. And again, it's a fraction of the price of the uh, of these other medications. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you would like to add? Um, just that I've been amazed um, since I first learned about uh, low-dose naltrexone, which was quite some time ago, um, at, at the positive results and the positive benefits that our patients have seen, um, I've had patients who were di- have been diagnosed with breast cancer who decided to use low-dose naltrexone in conjunction with other uh, treatments who've seen a reversal of the breast cancer. The same thing with colon cancer and prostate cancer. Prostate, and the unique thing about these is that breast cancer and colon cancer tends to be rather aggressive, and prostate cancer tends to be a very slow-acting disease. Um, our patients with multiple sclerosis the reduction of fatigue anywhere from 20 to 75 percent. Their ability to walk distances is increased by again 25 to 75 percent. Some patients have seen a 15 times increase in the number of steps they're able to take during a 24-hour period. And that's just dramatic. A 1,500 percent increase in your ability to be mobile is, is phenomenal. Again, this is all done very economically and virtually side effect free. Um, so I, I'm extremely impressed with the low-dose naltrexone. I'm extremely impressed with the physicians who have opened their eyes and opened their minds to the utilization of this alternative approach, which is something they were not taught in medical school, but something they were open enough to be proactive on their patients' behalf. And, uh, you know, I encourage patients to contact me uh, if they have questions. Uh, I can be reached through our website at markdrugs, M-A-R-K-D-R-U-G-S dot com, uh, or you can email us through our website at info at markdrugs.com. Well, thank you very much for sharing your experience with us. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Sherry Garvin, and I'm a pharmacist and the owner at the Compounding Center in Leesburg, Virginia. We are really happy to have been able to sponsor this seminar on LDN with the LDN Research Trust. 
Uh, lucky for me, Dr. Katsuko and Dr. Asher have done a wonderful job of discussing the clinical uses of LDN or low-dose naltrexone. So I'm just going to take a few minutes to tell you a little bit about who we are, give you some drug information on naltrexone, and then tell you how to prescribe this wonder drug. So let's get started. Um, just a brief introduction to the compounding center. So we are an employee-owned company, and we are a compounding-only pharmacy that is accredited for both sterile and non-sterile compounding, and we're licensed basically on the East Coast from New York down to Georgia. Our pharmacy is actually located in Leesburg, Virginia, Northern Virginia. And this is a picture of the outside of our pharmacy and then our lab crew here. I put that in just so that you know we are a real pharmacy. We have patients that walk in all the time, but we have a lot of patients that never get to see us. So there you go. I want to talk a little bit about how uh, low-dose naltrexone is available. So as was mentioned in a couple of previous um, uh, presentations, low-dose naltrexone can only be obtained from a compounding pharmacy. The commercially available product is a 50-50 milligram tablet. And of course, for low-dose naltrexone or ultra-low-dose naltrexone, we're talking about much lower dosages, uh, approximately a tenth or lower of the regular commercial product. So it does have to be made in a compounding pharmacy. And as far as the different dosage forms go, we do make it in a topical cream, which is usually used for different therm conditions. We also make it in oral capsules oral tablets, and then sublingual or oral liquids. And the liquids are very helpful when we are dealing with very low dosages or patients who are tapering. As far as the cost of therapy, one of the first questions that patients will ask me is, is this covered by my insurance? And unfortunately, most insurance plans do not cover compounded medications at all. Um, but the good news is, is Lotus naltrexone is very affordable. For instance, the 1.5 milligram and the 4.5 milligram tablets are $7 for a 90-day supply or 90 tablets. Um, so that's pretty affordable. That's about $25 for a month's supply. Um, the suspensions, if you need to use the very low dose or ultra low dose naltrexone suspensions, they are about $60 for 30 mLs. And of course, it depends on how much you're taking each day um, as to how long that will last. And next, I want to talk just briefly about side effects. One of the wonderful things about low-dose naltrexone is it actually has very few side effects. It is very well tolerated. The one complaint that I will get from patients when they first start on therapy is that they tend to have vivid dreams, which sometimes causes them a bit of sleep disturbance. Um, if that occurs, we will usually recommend that they decrease their dose for a few days and increase more slowly, or some physicians will just have them switch their dose from bedtime to morning dosing or noontime dosing, whatever is convenient for the patient. Some other side effects that are listed are headache, nausea, vomiting, and constipation. But again, I rarely get complaints about this medication in terms of side effects. Other medication use, we usually talk about this in terms of drug interactions, but with this particular medication, there are literally very few drug interactions, but I do want to mention a few things. Obviously, opioids, uh, naltrexone is an opioid blocker, so we would want to be concerned about patients taking opioids. 
not that they can't take them concurrently, but you do want to be aware of the dosages of both and the timing of both, whether or not they're immediate release or extended release products on the opioid side. Um, so that's you know something to consider. The biologic immunosuppressants. Obviously, we have lots of patients that want to use those medications concurrently, and they are used concurrently regularly. Um, just a word of caution, because the naltrexone is an immunomodulator, and you are trying to suppress the immune system with some of these biologic products. Um, the only time I've actually ran into this as being a significant issue is when a patient is enrolled in clinical trials with a new biologic immunosuppressant. And oftentimes, um, the study does not want anything to interfere with their results, so they may not want the patient on both, but we do obviously have patients on both all the time just because naltrexone is used um, for patients that are using types of products. Um, high-dose steroids, a similar situation where the high-dose steroids can affect um, the immune system, so just, a, you know, just you'd want to be aware of that. And then the last one I do want to mention is if a patient is on a thyroid supplement, there is no drug interaction with the thyroid supplement. However, if the patient's thyroid condition is immune-related at all, what sometimes can happen is when they start on naltrexone or low-dose naltrexone therapy, it improves their thyroid condition. Therefore, they actually need a lower dose of their thyroid medication. We sometimes see patients begin to experience symptoms of hyperthyroidism um, once they've started on low-dose naltrexone. So just something to be aware of. So let's talk a little bit about how do you actually prescribe these things. Um, first, many pharmacies will offer you a pre-printed prescription form that you can just fill out the patient's information and check the dosing that you are looking for. Um, if that's not uh, if that doesn't work for your practice because you use EMRs, that's fine. You can add these medications to your EMR system, especially if it's something that you think you will prescribe on a regular basis. Or the other option is within your EMR system, you can simply choose the chemical from your drop-down menu. So instead of picking a drug, you would pick naltrexone hydrochloride powder. It's just the pure chemical. And then the comments or note field, you would tell the pharmacist what you want to give the patient. Um, so you would tell us you want 4.5 milligrams at bedtime or whatever, and then we would know from there what dosing and compounding to make. I do wanna mention a little bit about quality. I have had questions in the past, you know, does it, can every compounding pharmacy make this? Does it matter? Um, and quality does matter. I think that you should be able to ask the pharmacy that you're uh, dealing with, you know, what is their um, quality assurance program that they have in place? Do they test their preparations before they are dispensed? Um, I have included on this slide one example of our certificate of analysis that was sent out to a third-party lab. We do test our batches um, for potency before they are released. We want to make sure that if we say it is 1.5 milligrams of naltrexone, that it actually is. Um, so I think that's important to ask. You may also want to ask what fillers or binders that they use in their compounding process for capsules or tablets. We want to make sure that there's nothing included that would uh, prohibit the absorption of the naltrexone. And of course, these products are immediate release products, so you would want nothing in there that would um, cause a, a slow release. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at L-D-N 
rt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.